I know you're supposed to start these shows with energy and excitement, and I, I feel like I've, I've already failed you. <laughs> well, as I proved last week, we don't start over. We don't start recording over again. We just go. So, uh, yeah, we're going. I, uh, I spent this weekend in a hurricane, which sounds like a really cool 80s rock lyric and was not. Um, I went to Clemson to watch Notre Dame and Clemson play, um, and then around 2.45 in the morning decided that was enough for me. Uh, sat in hurricane traffic and then spent all day Sunday traveling home. Uh, it's been a, uh, I think, I think we're in the grind. Those of us who work in the industry who like to complain about our jobs to people who don't have these jobs. Um, but that being said, I watched a really interesting game in really terrible weather and it's only going to further the complication that is the top of college football. Um, I also made a real cheeky comment on Twitter yesterday that I think a bunch of my colleagues got mad about, and that's that I just don't care about anyone's playoff four anymore because no one is even close to right. No one is even close to insightful, I think. Um, Which is funny because here in a second, uh, you and I will both be going on SB Nation Selection Committee uh, to discuss our top four picks. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you got to click on our stuff because <laughs> it's good. It's, it's worthwhile. I got to stay in golden furs over here. I don't know about you, but um, no, we're all just guessing. Um, So what I saw at Clemson was a really good defensive front in Clemson, and Brent Venables is just, I don't know, I feel like we're not talking about him enough. He makes a ton of money. He leaves Oklahoma. I think he winds up in a situation that actually really benefits him and the kind of player that they can recruit to Clemson. Um. That was the thing that stuck out to me the most in that game. It was sort of the marquee game of the night. Um, after two, I guess we, I get trapped in the tunnel that is my one game. But you know, if we're taking anything away from the from the previous week, real fast, I'd say what two SEC beatdowns, one expected, one not expected, and then I guess UCLA losing pretty notable in that Saturday evening slot. But Notre Dame Clemson kind of seemed to to dominate everything, and obviously with the attention that Notre Dame gets, and then sort of the questions around Clemson's eliteness. Um, and then a hurricane on top of it. Uh, Clemson came out, and they stopped Notre Dame from running the ball for virtually the entire game. They got very conservative at the end. I think that was mainly because they had had multiple opportunities to sort of knock them out of the game completely and build a three-touchdown lead. It just never really happened. I thought they very much sort of kept the the, the saddle on, on Deshaun Watson, and they let their defense do the work, and they did. So really good defense. Efficient offense, not perfect. Um, a game that will probably in a month or two find an asterisk next to it because of the conditions and because of some of the circumstances and because of the injuries that Notre Dame has had. Um, talking to the players after the game, they were very loose-lipped. They were very generous with their critique and their commentary and how pissed off they were about the way that Notre Dame has talked about you know themselves and, and opponents like Clemson. And now Clemson gets to sort of finally, you know, I don't want to dive into the whole Clemsoning phenomenon because it was it was completely inapplicable here. This was a really good team in a really bad setting in terms of the rain. And I think some fatigue had, had set in in the third and fourth quarter on their part. They tried to do some things offensively. It didn't work. And then they basically sort of held on for dear life. So So just because they went conservative in the fourth quarter, I don't necessarily think that was going to lead to a Clemsoning. I think they were better on the lines, and I think they played better on the whole. So um, I think the players that I think what struck me at Clemson was they really do believe that they're a playoff team. 
which sort of is going to seg us into not so much a recap, not so much a preview, Bill, but how many teams are are we talking about now? Is it? I, I really feel like we're talking about 16, 18 teams now that all seem like if you put them on a field would beat each other. E- each team could beat the other by 14 to 20 points depending on just a just a tweak in circumstance. Well, I don't think anybody could beat Alabama by 14 or 20 points, but okay. Um, but I mean, yeah, as long as we have this many undefeated teams and uh, teams that have one or one particularly good unit, that's that's one thing that's been kind of interesting so far. Is it seems like very few teams are actually good at both offense and defense, or at least like really good. Um, like you've got, I'm I'm looking at my S and P stuff here, and, and in terms of teams that are top fifteen offense and defense, you've got Alabama. They're 14th in, on offense, second on defense. You got Oklahoma. Uh, 5th and 15th. You've got Florida, <laughs> as we all expected, uh, 15th and 12th. And that appears to be it in terms of teams that are top 15 in both. That's crazy. Um, I mean, I, th- to an extent, this happens every single year. Uh, you know, there are always going to be teams that are uh, elite defense and, and uh, mediocre offense and vice versa. But um, it, it's really been uh, a pretty stark um, just, uh, you know, there's been a pretty stark lack of those teams this year. Michigan's third in my rankings. They're 53rd on offense and they're third in my rankings. So that, that, um, that says a lot. The, the, the very, very, very best defensive teams seem to be a step ahead of everybody else defensively. Like, you know, in my S and P rankings, what I try to do is, is now I try to present them in, in terms of an adjusted point total. So you can kind of look at it and, and get a better sense of, you know, you don't have to figure out what does 139.4 mean. You just know that uh, you look at uh, Texas Tech has the number one offense right now. They're at 51.8, basically adjusted points per game. So you've got some good offenses, but the defenses right now, a few defenses have stood out from everybody else. You know, you've got Boston College at 5.5, and part of that is because they – didn't just beat up on an FCS team. They feasted on two of them. And even adjusting for opponent, I think their complete domination of those teams has them a little skewed. But you've got Alabama at 5.9, Michigan at 6.0, um, Duke Duke at 8.1. Uh, Duke and, and uh, Toledo and Northwestern all have elite defenses at the moment, which is awesome. But no, I mean you just you've got a bunch of teams who don't really know how to play, how to stop anybody, and a bunch of teams who um, don't really know how to move the football, and that's going to make for a really, really interesting. We, we're always trying to jump to compare it to 2007. Like we, you know, every good Georgia running back is the next Herschel Walker. Every season that seems to have any sort of chaos involved is the next uh, 2007. Um, and there's a very there's a very clear chance that we end up with like. Alabama undefeated Oklahoma or eleven and one Oklahoma undefeated Clemson and you know I don't I, you know USC or something like that and and all the drama is sucked away but you can see the potential here you can see exactly how we get like forty six teams at ten and two and none that are any better and so naturally we t- we start to root for those things I don't I, think I don't think Kansas is going to be as good this year as they were in. Um... 2007 I, and you know south florida's improving but i don't think we're going to see them at number two this year either yeah probably not yeah i mean you know probably not um <laughs> i the the frustration for people in that do this for a living has come 
because they, I think, you know, as I sit here and listen to you and I read the numerical this morning, I think people just don't want to let go and enjoy this because we have built in this prognostication culture week to week. And, and you know, some folks do it for the betting side of that. I, I totally get that. You know, I, I don't really gamble too often. I think the last time I put money on a game was two years ago. But, um, you know, the, the Vegas thing makes sense to me but but this this culture of let's pick every week and 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 try and reinforce look the logic's just not there this year i really do feel like in general terms we can and we'll dive into this there are when this season's over bill i'm going to be really interested to see how much of this was just a fact of like there wasn't a lot of consistent returning quarterback play in top programs oh that's certainly part of it yeah i think there wasn't there really wasn't if you go back to August, as if that's like the Paleolithic now, there was Ohio State, which matched an abundance of quarterbacks and, and a good defense. And there was really no other team up top that matched a great returning quarterback, a seasoned veteran, with a good defense returning the majority of their starters. It just it, it was really rare. And so you saw talented teams all through the top 25. No doubt, I think there's more talent in college football, and I think that process has been socialized to a degree with recruiting and with the amount of players that are that are going into the college ranks we're getting really 10,000 feet here but there just wasn't a put it all together team there wasn't even like two or three of those and that's usually what you find in the top 10 so I think we just need to let it go I mean seriously just just I mean if I had to make a bracket right now I'm going to close my eyes and do this I don't have this written down And, and I and when I'm done you can tell me how far off I am or or if I've um, excluded a team that either you or the numbers say that I should have. But when I do radio spots or when I have casual conversations with people and they ask about, well, who, who's going to make the playoff? Right now in my head, you've got Clemson and Florida State in the ACC. Okay. The Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan State, technically Michigan. I, I don't think Northwestern or Iowa are going to last down the stretch. The Southeastern Conference, you you probably have five to six teams, okay? And in, really, in, I know Alabama looks the best at the moment, but we weren't saying that two weeks ago. I was. So, yes, you were. You were. Uh, Alabama, <laughs> uh, LSU, Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Technically, Georgia is still alive, and now you have Florida. Um, Baylor, Oklahoma, TCU. Stanford, Utah, UCLA. We still have Notre Dame. Is there anyone that I've just left out? Because it, I know you feel like you know no one could beat. I, I think Texas A&M could beat Alabama. Well, beat yes, but not by fourteen to twenty points. I don't see that. I, I could see maybe like a ten to thirteen. So I think maybe so, so. If you pluck one or two of these teams and give them a little bit of an exception, there's still just not much cushion between all these guys. I, I do believe in the pure randomness of this like top bracket that I've just rattled off, which is I don't know how many teams that was like eighteen, fifteen, something like that. So. If you told me, and what I'm, the reason I'm saying is, if you told me in any combination that those teams would, would play each other and that one would beat the other, it wouldn't shock me at all. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think right now the most likely participants are the Florida uh, Clemson winner, or Florida State Clemson winner, uh, the SEC champion, the Big 12 champion, and the Big 10 champion. Those yeah. are, I think, the four, the four most likely to end up at, at like 13 and 0, 11 and 1, 12 and 1 kind of situation. I don't think anybody in the Big 12 is going to survive undefeated, but um, you're going to have a really good 11-1 and champion there. You're, you could have, and I mean, the, 
the winner of the little Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State battle royal, and I do include Michigan there because their defense is ridiculous right now. Um, you know, the winner of that is likely, especially since you know maybe they'll be facing facing a Big Ten champion or Big Ten West champion that finishes ten and two or eleven and one. Maybe I I'm not convinced of that either, but um, I, I would say that's the most likely. Pac-12 could all, I mean Utah Utah hasn't lost yet. They don't have to lose. Right. Um, and USC obviously USC and Stanford both are starting to look like they could run the table honestly. But um, I would say just, you know, they're probably the fifth most likely right now. The Pac-12 champion is probably slightly less likely than everybody else. And, you know, this will all change next week. Yeah, and the difference between this year right now and years past is that normally the, the phrasing you, you, you and I just used is, is applicable, and, and, and we, we do that in the offseason. We say, yeah, okay, and I think it's going to be this conference champion, this conference champion. Usually by now we would say something to the effect of, it's going to be Ohio State, Alabama, right. and then you know, the TCU Baylor winner, and then you know maybe that that fourth team we don't know about. And right now we're still having to apply this really like broad set of of like considerations. There's yeah, just, and, I, right. could you name me a team that got knocked out completely this week? Because the only one that jumps to my mind, only by virtue of their schedule and what they have remaining, is West Virginia. I think they really, if they were going to be serious about contending in the Big Twelve and thus contending for a playoff spot, they needed to win at Oklahoma because they have to go to, uh, the, I think, yeah, they have to go to Baylor and TCU. Yeah, you know, no, their schedule is going to screw them. And I mean, they could still win one of those two and and win, you know, tie for the uh, the Big Twelve. But obviously, yeah, if they were going to. Um, they they need to go two and one to to reach the playoff in that scenario, and then of course you know still win the others too, and um, that's probably not likely at this point. No, I mean I think, I mean I'll, I'll, the the best way I can frame this season right now is that I only trust one team, and that team has already lost a game, so um, that who who the heck knows at this point? That team, Alabama. I was gonna make a joke there, but you, you jumped it with the fact. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I was trying to think of what was the most absurd one last team in consideration, and my mind flooded Sorry. with too many possibilities. Yeah, my <laughs> mind flooded with too many possibilities, and then you just gave the, the actual answer. Okay, but even Georgia, even Georgia. Oh yeah, I mean, they if they turn around and beat Tennessee and beat Florida, finish eleven and one, win the SEC, they're in, and that's all you have to do is beat the team that has absolutely crippled you in Atlanta <laughs> at, on a quote unquote neutral field. Uh, it, it, those of you who don't know, if you uh, live in Nashville and you go to Clemson, South Carolina, there's the, the, the easiest, most interstate-friendly route, and I couldn't fly this week because of the hurricane, uh, is through Georgia. And so um, I ended up inadvertently spending a good amount of time in Georgia after that loss. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't even – you, you want to put a metric on something. I don't, I don't know how you put a metric on despondent because this was, this was a quintessential Georgia loss and that this just sets them up for another 10-2 and two season that is somehow – disappointing the way however Arkansas finishes will be disappointing I mean and that's such it's, a unique circumstance for a yeah player. yeah it's true and and you know from a pragmatic standpoint I would say that having laying your biggest egg in a game you were probably going to lose anyway is actually kind of smart <laughs> um yeah that was how, that's how Arizona won the Pac-12 South last year but, so wait so let's dive into that because well, I, I mean, I, I thought Alabama was going to win anyway. Scream at you first, but then also cling to some sort of shred of hope. So, how is that smart? 
Well, I mean, if you're going to lose anyway, you know, in terms of perceptions, it's not good, obviously, because, you know, people care and, and, and everything. But in terms of purely your best chance of if you have one egg to lay, laying it against a, a mediocre Florida team in 2014 is probably not the best way to go about it. Um, but then, you know, if, if, if this year, if they turn around and, and they rebound, and last year, the, I mean, credit to them, they rebounded just fine after that, that Florida loss. That was uh, completely unexpected. It was devastating. It was kind of embarrassing because Florida wasn't able to run uh, on anybody else hardly. Um, but, it, you know, so that was bad. But if they turn around and that, we look back as this, at this as their only bad performance, then they're fine. That means they... Uh, are either you know twelve and one and in the playoff, or eleven and two with a tough SEC title game loss. We we just I mean the, the, obviously the problem with Georgia right now. I don't care about year to year narratives. I really really don't. I know I know I'm the weird one. I'm not trying to say I'm better than everybody else. I'm the weird one here, but I I could care less. My biggest concern with Georgia right now isn't that Mark Rick can't win the big game. Um, it's that Grayson Lambert sucks against good defenses. And, um, I mean, that was amazing. That was one of the things I put in the numerical this week. I don't think I've, you, you know, quarterbacks do better against bad defenses than good ones, clearly. But I don't think I've ever seen somebody complete like 87% of their passes against bad defenses and like 41% with interceptions against good defenses. That's not, that's not supposed to happen. And this is fascinating, uh, the split that he has created in just five games here. And so I, I have absolutely no, I, I can't figure out if that means Georgia's, you know, okay against anybody that doesn't have Alabama's defense or, or what, but um, it, that's, uh, he, he's fascinating to me in that regard, but I'd be terrified if, he, if I had a good team and he was my quarterback. So I, that's my biggest issue with Georgia. I don't care about, you know, big games and whatnot, but I, I, I don't trust them now because of their quarterback situation and they kind of have to prove me wrong. If they, I mean, if they beat Florida, let's, the one thing that Florida did last year that killed them was that, that you know, they had a really good, uh, you know, a powerful run game that occasionally got going. Never like that, but, but they seem to have potential in that regard. They seem to be better at that. Obviously, Derrick Henry had a nice game against Alabama, I mean, against Georgia, but I think they're better at defending the run, and Florida's not as good at running the ball. That Florida's uh, quality has come from its defense and from its uh, efficiency passing game, not not necessarily the run. So if, if that we shouldn't assume that there's a repeat of last year when when Florida and Georgia play again. But you know, I'm, I'm just rambling. I have no idea what to think about Georgia, but I'm not I, I I'm not writing them off just yet. Look, n- numbers and narrative are, are I guess sort of the intersection of why we do this show, but. Uh, let me let me condemn and defend narrative. It's what I do on my side of the fence in this business, but it's also it's it's very much the lazy Sunday afternoon blanket for most sports writers. I would liken it more to the sty that we roll around and defecate in, um, in in many instances because narrative is what pisses me off so so regularly when you, we talk about why USC always seems to enjoy the benefit of the doubt for the nine month off season. You know why. Gosh, I don't know. The XNFL, you know, the, the the convergence of XNFL coach with with a storied Northeastern program suddenly makes just college football almost unbearable in terms of a news product. That, that stuff drives me insane. Okay? Yeah, and that's 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 where most of the Mark Richt can't win the big game stuff comes from. Except for there's there is very much a real and palpable psychology to the fans, and as someone who sort of buoys what he does in terms of you know reporting with fan service and 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 trying to trying to capture psychology 
or emotion as a collective, which is what I do when I go on the road or I attempt to when it's not raining sideways. Um, there is a, I think the narrative there is so strong that it, it almost makes numbers irrelevant in terms of how a team perceives, or excuse me, how a fan base perceives a team. And what I mean by that, Bill, is like I, I went to college at Ole Miss. I got five phone calls on my way home this weekend. And there, even for a program that's very young to, to this national profile as Ole Miss, the fans are still willing to, you know, we would talk about the games. I said, well, you know, there's this, this, and this possibility. You still have a tiebreaker over Alabama. No one else in college football can say that. There was still some sort of relief and expectation and, and reason to that, even after they got absolutely blown out by a program everyone thought was inferior for the moment. I, I you know, a, 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 an internet friend of mine told me something on Sunday, which I thought was brilliant, and that's that now in in Georgia, Mark Rick's ten and two is Jim Donnan's eight and four, and damn if that's not an indictment. Like I, I, when he said that, I was like, can I can I steal that and and crochet it on something? Because I think that it, it, in no way, shape, or form does any of this stuff I'm talking about this malaise, this frustration. The history, what ha- you know, Terrence Edwards dropping a pass against Florida a freaking decade plus ago. None of that, Bill, affects what you do and what we should be looking at. However, it colors so much of what actually is going on um, with all the people around the football program. Now, I will say this: in George's case, I think that Rick is never going to be in trouble at ten and two. People may grow tired. Lord, I would hate. I would hope not. Now, Rick is in this sort of rare circumstance where Auburn, we've seen a little faultier towers. Insanity seems to permeate to the very top there with much with much sort of quicker speed in crisis situations. There are other programs where expectation and frustration can get into the athletic director's office a lot faster. This is not one of them. So I guess when I'm arguing for narrative or, or collective psychology – or just the, the general meanderings of the tailgate, sometimes that does bleed into what actually happens inside of a program. It does affect the numbers because people make bad decisions based on, I mean, a good example right right now would be the state university um, about three hours from where I live because they have lost their mind. Um, no, we, I don't no, want to spend too it, much time on Tennessee, but I think narrative might actually end up affecting numbers if, if they don't beat Georgia or Alabama. Well, I mean, yeah, so a few things. First, I mean, it absolutely can lead, lead to bad decisions. There's no, uh, there's no question about that. And, um, you know, the, the, what I you know, like to call the Glenn Mason territory, where suddenly succeeding isn't enough. Uh, and if you have an impatient athletic director or impatient boosters who are making the athletic director's life miserable, um, mm-hmm. then that can absolutely lead to change. And, and almost all of the time, unless you, ha- you can afford to go out and get Nick Saban, uh, that impatience almost always backfires. You know, Glenn Mason territory being named that for a reason, because they got tired of winning eight games a year, so they hired Tim Brewster. So, um, you know, that's... <laughs> There's no question that it can have an impact, but my, you know, I just don't you – know, it shouldn't. And I, I, when I write about things, I don't really care about what happened 10 years ago. I, but as a fan, right. obviously you do. And, and you know, I'm a Missouri fan, and I can, I can reflect on things that happened in 2004 or, you know, compare something to this year from, you know, 2006 or anything like that. Um, but that doesn't affect any sort of national meme that I would write about when writing about Missouri. Um, all right, well, the then, other, let, well, let's do this. If you could do a public service right now, 
as as an analyst, as a pure analyst. I'm talking about just you as as the man who creates the formulas, crunches the numbers, and then shows empirical evidence, what you believe to be empirical evidence. Uh, where, where are our absolute messes right now? Uh, Arkansas, Tennessee, is there anyone outside of the SEC? I don't want to get too regional here. Um, those two are, to me, feel head and shoulders above everyone else. Yeah. So let's, and- just say, let's just say those two. Give me your case, Bill, at Tennessee, and, and just pretend you're on vol call right now, okay, on the AM station that reaches across the Smoky Mountains. And, and tell me why, even if he doesn't beat Georgia or Alabama, because he ain't, uh, why he should be retained. Uh, because even now, you know, here's where I could easily, you know, coldly, emotional, emotionlessly, if that's a word, uh, pull up the simple fact that Tennessee wasn't a top 30, pro, uh, top 30 team on the field, and now they are. Um, Losing close go- games to good teams does not make you bad. It just means you're slightly less good or, in Butch Jones's case, terrible at late game management and conservative decision making. And, and um, you know, they have absolutely been ridiculous in that regard. But here are some numbers. And, and again, you know, when I'm trying to get a read on a team, I always go straight to the numbers because, like I always say, that, that's the best way for me to know where to start. Like, it doesn't have to be where I finish, but it, in terms of where to start – um, in Derek Dooley's three years in the F plus rankings, uh, Tennessee ranked 61st, 44th, and 52nd. Uh, so far under Butch Jones, they've ranked 63rd his first year, 24th last year, and even now with three tight losses to other top 30 teams, they're 28th. Eventually, you have to win those games, obviously, but there's no question that the pure level of quality, you know, even on both sides of the ball, I hate. What he, I hate the hire he made up in terms of offensive coordinator. I think that we were drastically overrating Josh Dobbs and, and um, Heard before the season started. But even acknowledging that, they're a top 30 team. And, you know, in, in theory, you know, if you, you, you give him longer because he has earned the right to prove that he doesn't just completely suck in, in, in close games from year to year. There's, there's evidence going back to Cincinnati that he might. So, you know, I'm not saying you know, go ahead and sign him up for a 10-year contract extension. But the pure fact is they're, they're, there's, they're losing close games instead of getting blown out, and there's always a chance that, this, that to the extent that this is randomness, it'll even out and they'll start winning close games. There's no guarantee of that at all. And if you've got 100,000 angry people in the stands, then, of course, it's going to turn into a disaster behind the scenes. But, you know, that, that's my explanation. They're actually good in losing tight games to good teams instead of losing tight games to bad teams now. I, uh, I, I try not to ever really get on publicly and say so-and-so should be fired, even when, even when all, of the, you know, all the signs point in the same direction and it's a fait accompli. My job really is more to say I think he's going to get fired yeah, because of X, Y, and Z. Um, I, I'm, I'm not in the, the, the take business and, and because my takes probably suck, and also I just completely worthless economy to me. But if um, I was looking at you know the hot seat coaches this year, I think – and this is you can stop me real fast as I go down this list. I, I think you would defend Charlie Strong right now, I only think, because it's his second year. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, but, I mean, logically, I think I would defend Charlie Strong for non-numerical reasons because of the the fire around him. Right. Um, I think. Actually, what is your take on Al Golden? Yeah, my take on Al Golden might end up being the same as with Butch Jones, and that sometimes okay. you're just a table setter. You know, gotcha. I, I mean, I, I can point to all the ways that he has managed his team better than he gets credit for. 
um, especially with all the Nevin Shapiro stuff. Uh, and, and I can point to the fact that he resurrected Temple, or, or didn't even resurrect him, he just surrected them um, <laughs> as proof that he can coach. But sometimes it just doesn't match up. Sometimes it doesn't work. And this is where I kind of fall back on, what you, as you were saying, what will happen, what probably will happen versus what should or shouldn't. I, we, can, we can go on and on about how Miami doesn't you know, have the money uh, that, you know, they, they kind of have, uh, you know, maybe a false superiority in that regard because they don't have the money to match what they, their expectations. But, uh, you know, and I could point out that he did get them through the Shapiro stuff, that he still has a potentially good team on his hands, although um, they really, uh, their defense is, is clearly not going to be what I thought it might be this year. And I could say that maybe that means he's with a relatively young team that they, he's earned another year. But then you look at the situation and you realize that there's like a 10% chance that he saves his job. He's got to beat Florida State and then maybe lose no more than one other game all year. And with the inconsistency they've had on defense, that's probably not going to happen. So No. Uh, the other open, uh, theoretically open jobs are, are kind of of a different caliber. And that leans more towards time, resource, and just, uh, you know, general, uh, I think, larger program problems than what analytics would show us, or especially when you throw in recruiting. And that's like Purdue and Iowa State and, uh, you know, uh, programs like that. Uh, and then, and then you've got your bottom tier sort of jobs we think are going to be open in, in the Sun Belt and Mac, and I don't want to dive into those. But what I, as I look down, and I'm just sort of Googling like hot seat and, and coaches in trouble, I, I'm curious, have you ever, with, with just analytics, found, I don't want to say overwhelming evidence, I don't think that exists, but I know from talking to coaches, from talking to people in the recruiting world, and even just seeing players on the active team, there's a certain sense you get when you do kind of the face-to-face stuff that this isn't going to work. He's going to get fired or he's, he's quote unquote lost the team. It's a cliche, but there's a lot of truth there. I mean, I've seen it before. I've seen it multiple times. Um, the biggest thing, honestly, is when you, when you talk to assistant coaches, they start talking to you about boosters and ADs. And so you, you kind of know when, the, when the, when the ground is collapsing underneath these right. guys, have you ever in stats just, just had numbers that say, Oh yeah, this guy's got to go. Well, I mean, it, it's all based on expectations, um, and so no, I mean, I you know, I can I can say this dude, this guy's doing a bad job, and maybe that's equivalent to saying he should go. But um, but, no, but like all, statistically, right now, nothing like when you look at the golden run, start to finish or, or start to current, you don't have anything that anal- analytically tells you he's not getting it done. Well, no, it's all, it all depends on where the baseline is. Like, so with Alabama, he's been there this four years before this year, they were 31st that first year, fell to 60th his second year. And then, but then as he went along, uh, you know, with the Shapiro stuff and everything else, they went from 60th to 42nd in 2013 to 31st with a true freshman quarterback in 2014. So, I I mean, that that was basically the the point I made in the preview this uh, off season was that, He's doing a, a, a decent job. You cannot say he's doing a great job, obviously. And, and obviously Miami fans, after four years, want you to be doing a great job. So, uh, you know, maybe the expectations just don't match up there. But heading into this year, he had improved for two straight years. And last year, uh, you know, the last year's uh, post-Florida State fade wasn't quite as bad as 2013's Florida, uh, post-Florida State phase, fade, excuse me. 
Um, but they just, on average, they were a lot closer to a really good year than they, uh, than, you know, six and seven would show. So I could point to all that and say he's doing decent. It's just, yeah, at some point you got to do better than decent. And I will, to go back to your Georgia point to, you know, make this a big, uh, happy circle and to the fact that I can refer to Missouri events from the past in 1984, I can just call this via memory because I'm a, a crazy obsessive Missouri fan. Um, in 1984, Warren Powers, you know, he, he shows up in 1978, he beats Notre Dame and Nebraska. He wins a bunch of close games. Um, over the, the coming years, he loses a bunch of close games. They seem like they're pretty close to succeeding, but they just, you know, an injury here, uh, like two blocked punts in the fourth quarter to lose to Wisconsin, like just random bad things happened. And the fans and an impatient athletic direct, uh, department made a move. They, you know, Missouri had had, I think, uh, uh, that was their first truly bad year under powers, but they had, uh, um, taking a nice step forward in 83. They could easily uh, bounce back in 85 if, with a couple of breaks, but the fans stopped showing up. They started wearing bags on their heads. They started uh, showing that one bad season is not good enough for us. Uh, and it pressured the athletic director into making a move. Uh, and they hired Woody Woodenhofer um, and completely died as a program. So my, th- my, Take on coaching changes has always been that it's such a massive roll of the of the dice that you don't do it unless you absolutely have to, unless you absolutely positively know that the guy you have isn't going to reach your goals. And I don't think you know that about Butch Jones. I I mean I've I have just lacerated Butch Jones this year for his dumb decision making in the fourth quarter of games or in the you know trying to run out the clock for the last thirty five minutes and whatnot. But you don't know without beyond a shadow of a doubt that he won't get it done there. Um, he won't this year. <laughs> But he's recruiting well, and the talent's there to the point where talent matters so much that maybe they can overcome bad decision-making in the fourth quarter. So I would absolutely not make a move there. Texas, actually, in this instance, Texas, you could make more of a a case for uh, firing strong because, among other things, Texas right now ranks 81st, uh, or 78th, excuse me, in the F-plus rankings between Wake Forest and Oregon State, barely ahead of Purdue, behind Utah State and Georgia Southern and Central Michigan and Iowa State. And you could simply say that that should never, ever, ever, ever happen in any circumstances. And maybe you're right. Um, but, you know, second year, you still can't really guarantee anything in that regard. Not to mention uh, one of the most volatile behind-the-scenes situations oh my goodness, in, yeah. in college sports. I think that shouldn't be overlooked. Um, let's, let's shift gears real quick because you, you have a, a concept about Ohio State that I think is really interesting. Um, what, what kind of this ties into our first topic, but in in that revolving pool or whatever the hell, I'll come up with a funnier name or just ask Twitter to do it. Um, you have Ohio State, which is the number one team in the country according to the voters, defending national champion. But what they actually are, we still really don't know. I personally maintain, from the bias standpoint, that the win over Indiana on the road would have been looked at as a gutty, gritty SEC win if it was if it was two SEC teams with exact same exact same S and P numbers, exact same resumes, all that. I think there is a perception biased against the lower half of the Big Ten for a reason. For a very good reason. For a very good reason. But I think Indiana is a better team than people want to admit. So yeah, well, so I mean, first of all, I'll I'll, we'll, I'll talk a little bit about Ohio State. So yeah, Indiana right now. Um, you know, as always, referring to F plus, they're fifty eighth right now. Not bad. Uh, one, well, let's put it this way: they are one spot behind South Carolina. Um, so maybe 
you know, if it was South Carolina, if it were Alabama barely beating South Carolina on the road, then yeah, it would be different. Um, we could have a circumstance, not exactly like, not not to a T, but LSU does go on the road to South Carolina. Yeah, and, and struggles to get past Eastern Michigan at home, but I guess that's different. Yeah, that's um, true. So my question to you earlier was how, when, when, like if the committee were putting out its first set of rankings tonight, where would they have Ohio State? And I'll let you answer first, and then I'll, I'll jump in. Oh, I know where they'd have them right now. Um, number one. They did not have Florida State number one last year. They had Mississippi State number one last year. They never, I mean, did they ever have Florida State number one? I don't remember. If they, if they, maybe they popped up there when uh, Mississippi State uh, lost. No, but I know the first, the first four, it was, it was Mississippi State, uh, and then who was two? The three and four, it was, it was Ole Miss and Auburn. I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I'm playing. Uh, gosh, so prepared for this show. Um, no, I think they would be number one only because of everything that we've just talked about. What other candidate? I think if not, Clemson. If not them, who? I Clemson think, has the resume. Clemson's best win is infinitely better than Ohio State's best win right now. I think Clemson would be up there. I think you can make a case for Oklahoma to be number one. If they if they could see Mississippi State beating what Texas A and M and LSU and Auburn, yeah, Auburn last year. Let me year. jump right in on that. If Clemson comes out as the number one team, and Ohio State hasn't lost, and Michigan State hasn't lost, and uh, who else? Are the other, and a TCU hasn't lost. Dan Radakovich, the athletic director at Clemson, super nice guy, great guy, totally deserves to be on the committee. If it comes out that that Clemson's first in that poll, that's going to be a uh, a, a knee jerk poop storm, Bill. And I, I mean, it was, a, it was a poop storm last year when they picked an SEC team too. I mean, there's there's going to I think if, they, if there's anything that we've learned to date, it's that there will be poop. There there is absolutely going to be. There's already poop. People are angrier now, uh, or as angry now as they were last year when the rankings were already going. So there will be poop. If you told me Clemson's number one, I would I would not argue that right now at all. Sure, why not? Um, that's kind of how I feel about pretty much anyone in that group. But uh, it would be the first time that the committees had to deal with, you know, uh, one of the members being an athletic director or someone, you know, like you. Ole Miss never got to number one, but Archie Manning was on there. Like, you know, I'm trying to think of a quick example. There, there's no one really that has a direct tie quite like an, an active athletic director. So, um, yeah, it, we, we would really have to start sort of testing this out. Isn't Bobby Johnson on there this year? Bobby Ugh. Johnson has uh, – he has to list Clemson as a, as a potential bias team. So I think that, that – if Clemson gets in the conversation around playoff time or around the bracket time, they have to recuse two people. I think, by the way, that that's absurd that they that anybody has to recuse anything. We're talking, we're supposed to be okay talking about adults here, um, and and just because Bobby Johnson, you know, has a tie to Clemson, but anyway, that's a different rant. Last year they had Mississippi State one, Florida State two. Now the, last year was weird in that those were the only two. Highly, you know, other than Marshall, those were the only two undefeated teams left, and you had a million with one loss. Uh, so that probably helped Mississippi State's cause. But even with just two uh, undefeated teams, the defending national champion was not number one. And so, okay, and Ohio State coming up, I mean, if they finish undefeated, they're fine because they get they'll finish the season with what Michigan State, Michigan, and the Big Ten West champion who doesn't look terrible. But coming up now, they've got Maryland, 
uh, Penn State, who with that defense could actually still be tricky, uh, and Rutgers. And at some point in there, the playoff rankings come in. If if we're talking about resume at all, they're not going to have the resume. And they besides the resume, they also won't have the, the, the fallback option of having looked like the number one team ever. Unless, of course, now they hit a, a rhythm against uh, what is apparently a hapless Maryland team. Uh, and Penn State and Rutgers. If they, I mean, if, obviously, if they pummel those teams, then fine. Maybe they still get number one, but I don't think they're number one right now. There's so many stupid things at, at play here because if they if they come out and rank a one-loss Alabama ahead of an undefeated Ohio State, the committee has indicted the Big Ten at a very fundamental level uh, in terms of strength of schedule and quality of overall product. I don't think anyone really wants to to deal with that from the committee side through you know on down. Um, well, I think, you, though, with two of those teams being Maryland and Rutgers, like, kind of universally accepted as bad. Like, even Big Ten fans wouldn't really be able to defend the way Maryland and Rutgers are playing this year. I think it's more, I think it's more, if you if you go a little broader, I think you're, the casual person is going to look and see they, they will have, at what point, so, so they would have finished with Rutgers, so you would, or would they have already played Minnesota as well, when the first rankings come out? Um... So it's one, I, two, I can't remember if it's two weeks or three from now, but they play Minnesota four, uh, on November 7th, so they definitely won't have played Minnesota by the time the rankings come okay. out. And Minnesota's, by the way, is like the fifth-best team in the in the West potentially this year. So, so you, you'll have played four games in conference and then a non-conference schedule that's eh. Not terrible. Not, not Baylor, but... Um, I mean, this is the problem with the revolving, you know, with the week-to-week bracketing is that the message that it sends. I mean, there there are a lot of things that are unintentional that come out of this because if it is a one-loss Alabama ahead of them or if it's a a one-loss anybody. I don't think think it'll be a one-loss team yet, Um, but I think there will still be enough undefeated teams that they don't get it. All right. Are you predicting, or are you guessing what they're going to predict as far as who's well, ahead? Well, no. I'm, I mean, I, I'm I'm playing it in the safest way possible since I can never be proven wrong. I'm saying this week, uh, if they had the playoffs this week, ah, okay. to date, the way they've looked so far, or you know, in this case, if they continued to look this way, which is top twenty-five, but absolutely not top five against you know, if if they you know beat Maryland Rutgers by three touchdowns and beat Penn State by like a touchdown or ten points or whatever, I don't think they're number one. I think what I'm assuming in this in this hypothetical is that they are going to beat Maryland and Rutgers uh, uh, handily, and that that is going to shift the lazier narrative back to oh you know they're undefeated they are a dominant team because then and I'm also measuring this again in a hypothetical and this isn't my belief or my opinion but I'm just sort of assuming what the field does. What undefeated team are you putting in front of them? Clemson, uh, Oklahoma and Clemson at the very least. Okay. And they're, uh, they've been uh, around. If they, if they did it for Mississippi State, they can do it for Oklahoma and Clemson. Especially Oklahoma's got, you know, the big SEC so Clemson, win. So Clemson beats Florida State in this circuit. Yeah, well, I, can see, I can see Clemson. When does Clemson play Florida State? Oh, uh, that's also November 7th. So in this yeah. same scenario, Clemson has played Georgia Tech at home, which – Georgia Tech is now the worst case scenario opponent because they're still pretty good, but they're then they now have a bad record. Um, and Boston College, who, who uh, might have the best defense in the country and no offense whatsoever. And then on October twenty fourth, they play at Miami, which you know is either rebounding after beating Florida State and back on the rise, or has completely fallen apart and maybe fired out Colton already. 
Is Clemson's? Uh, I mean, is this that good a schedule? Is this that good a resume? I mean, in terms of like top fifty teams, it is. In terms of top okay. twenty-five teams or what they'll consider top twenty-five, um, Louisville's a good team that's lost too many games, so that's not going to help them in the whole wins versus the top twenty-five thing that I hate. Um, Notre, <laughs> Notre Dame is up there. Uh, Florida State will be up there. I mean, that's that's really going to be about it. They can't lose those games and expect to be number one. Um, I think they could finish twelve and one, finish fourth, and be just fine. But if they want to be number one, then they'll need to beat Florida State. Well, I mean, beat everybody, obviously. But you know, if there's a big cluster at eleven and one, they they probably won't get it unless they um, unless they beat Florida State. I uh, I, th- I feel confident in us wrapping this up by saying we don't know because I feel like not enough people are saying things like we don't know, maybe could be interesting. I just like to frame things in ways that I can't be proven wrong. That's you know, that's my major goal in life. <sighs> I, I got to learn how to do that. Um, or just occasionally be proven right. Um, so uh, before we get into reader questions, uh, pulling up the schedule for this week, is anything of interest to you? Not necessarily the biggest game or anything like that, but what jumps out at you in terms of interest? Hey, um, <laughs> I think maybe because it's on the heels of what was a, just a really, really fun, uh, whatever we were calling it, slightly more conclusive uh, answers Saturday. In comparison Which, to... by the way, didn't work. It wasn't conclusive at all. Well, it was as conclusive as a week could be. But in week five, we can always make sure that we don't have the answers we're looking for. We're, we're really good about going out of our way in that regard. Um, I, you know, Navy, just as, as a college football fan, Navy-Notre Dame fascinates the hell out of me this year because Navy's good. Navy's really good. Notre Dame's responding from a loss. Um, you know, that's, and Navy seems to always play Notre Dame really well. Based on previous Notre Dame Navy games, this one's more evenly matched on paper than normal, and Navy seems to always almost beat Notre Dame anyway. So that one's really, really interesting to me. Northwestern Michigan's very, very interesting to me. Not because I want to watch it, I really don't want to watch this game at all, but um, in terms of two really good defenses and, you know, the consequences this game could have with the Big Ten. Um, that's fascinating. Plus, then anytime Northwestern and Michigan play, I get to think back to that 2000 game in my head. Um, from a morbid curiosity standpoint, Georgia Tennessee is fascinating. Uh, I think uh, the one that jumps out at me is is Georgia Tech Clemson. Um, uh, yeah. Just we we have to sort of put a frame around the the free fall of Georgia Tech, and then also I'm not going to use the word. It's, it's overplayed. It, it basically means nothing now, but you are coming off of a massive Saturday night showcase game. Now you're coming, now you're turning around at home and playing a, a tech team. You know how to play, you know how to defend. I mean, this isn't like it's a, a you know, a non-conference schedule week one type situation, but let's see how consistent you are. And then the other one actually is, it doesn't really have any effect on the very top, but West Virginia and Oklahoma state, um, that's sort of a battle to be the best second tier team, I think, in the Big uh, Big Twelve. Um, I'll be really disappointed if West. I mean, I like. I mean, not like as a fan, but I'll be disappointed if West Virginia doesn't kind of thump them because yeah. they've been way, way better than Oklahoma State today. They have a worse record now, obviously. But Oklahoma State, <laughs> um, you know, they're two and zero because of in part because Texas dropped a punt snap and and Oklahoma State against Kansas State was granted a, f- a first down while coming up four yards short. Um, they've kind of, from a karma standpoint, they, they probably can't keep this up and West Virginia has been way better. So, plus I talked up West Virginia last week and I, you know, I don't like to look bad. Um, uh, TCU at Kansas state. Mm-hmm. 
Kansas State's not amazing. This isn't, you know, peak level Kansas State wizardry type of thing. But Texas, uh, but TCU is allowing a ton of big plays on defense, obviously, because they're on their, like, their third string. It's, it's totally excusable if they're not very good on defense, but they aren't. Um, and Kansas State can figure some things out. I, I don't know if Kansas State can stop TCU. That's kind of the, you know, TCU always has, always that, has that card to play. Um, you can't stop us even if we can't stop you very much. But that game's going to be really, really, really interesting. And I'll be recording it because I'll be at Florida, Missouri. But um, And then Cal, Utah, obviously, has epic consequences uh, in, you know, in terms of which of these undefeated teams can keep it up. Yeah. But, um, you know, and, that, and it's in the night spot, so we, we know that that will get kind of silly. I'll be on the road this week uh, for two games, actually, on Thursday night. I'll be in Houston for uh, Houston and SMU, and then I will uh, – I am uh, going to Red River. Hey. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's – I'm going to Red River for a story that doesn't have a lot of football necessarily in it, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the, I guess – well, no, okay, okay, one more I want to mention. LSU at South Carolina. It's just sitting there, okay? It's just sitting there. Yeah, I mean, LSU... 11 a.m. Uh, Central kickoff. By the way, this show operates, dictates, and preaches the Central time zone. Um, just sitting there, Bill. I'm just saying, you're up by eight in the third quarter against Eastern Michigan at home. You got the best player in college football, some people think. Yeah. That was weird. Right? That was weird. Neither, neither, neither one of us... Like, this isn't a show where we do predictions or anything, but just I'm just interested in this game more than I should be. LSU has something to prove after last week. Yes, and I'm not going to say anything else. I just I will be I will make sure that I, I keep an eye on this game, and then uh, I guess I should plug my stuff on here. Uh, I have a piece coming out this week on Luther Campbell. I uh, I haven't talked about this yet. I kind of embargo myself on these on these projects until we're done, but I think it hits either Wednesday or Thursday at SB nation. I uh, actually went to Miami and took Luther to the uh, Miami Nebraska game and then hung out with him that weekend. And um, <laughs> it's uh, I just put it, it's, it's all sort of uh, framed around the Florida state game. So I will keep interest in the Florida state Miami game. I expect a sort of uglyish game where Florida state um, maybe pushes away late, but I don't really like their offense right now, and I don't really like Miami's defense. Yeah, this basically has Florida State eases away late written all over it. Yeah, and kind of a crappy, demoralizing way, which is exactly the – I mean, this this is it, essentially, from everything I know and everything – everyone I've talked to, this is the nail in the coffin for one uh, Albert Golden. Reader questions? Reader questions. Reader questions. So, Jason Kirk, SBN, asks, how are the Braves doing? They're doing great. They're doing uh, great. I looked it up. They they just beat Arkansas Pine Bluff. Uh, they've beaten Concordia and Mississippi Valley State and Alabama State uh, after losing so badly to Georgia Tech in the opener. I assume we're talking about the Alcorn State Braves, right? Of course. Yeah, no. That's the only Braves okay. I know about. So they're doing um, well. They're doing well. They have a chance to defend that SWAC title. Good for them. Uh, uh, a fan of, uh, let me see if I get the name right, Ty Hildebrandt, Hildenbrandt, um, at Ty Hildebrandt. Um, he, he, I guess he's a big Penn State fan. Uh, how does the S and P Plus have uh, Penn State in its top twenty? Does it actually watch the games, or is its uh, administration filling out its ballot, Bill? Uh, well, I mean, if, I, I like Bob Shoup and all, but I would not have top twenty uh, Penn State in the top twenty if I were filling out this bracket. Um, I had to look this up yesterday because I was a little confused too. And basically, what um, 
the numbers see in Penn State is that you know they lost to Temple that was that was not impressive they they struggled to ease past Army and that wasn't impressive but in between um, the way they handled Buffalo Rutgers and San Diego State again this is a kind of a how you play versus who you play thing. Uh, they are not going to be a pretty team, but they are efficient offensively with the run game that suddenly doesn't exist anymore because all the running backs have exploded. Um, in those games, they figured out how to run the ball, and Bob Shoup's an awesome defensive coordinator, and, and they did well defensively. So um, right now they're they're good defensively, uh, very mediocre offensively, but again, nobody is good at both this year, and therefore you've got this gigantic cluster of teams in the middle that's pretty good at one thing or the other. So... Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the S&P and the you know point differentials that I was talking about, from let's see, Toledo is it is fifteenth at plus fourteen point eight you know points per game, so to speak. Um, that's you know uh, you you just a touchdown difference takes you to number forty five. There's an wow. enormous bunch of teams there, and Penn State is just like a decimal point ahead of a lot of them. So there's my oh. answer. I didn't plan this question with our show, but I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it anyway. At side out par, how often do teams and coaches buy into their own media narratives? UGA choking in a big game, or UCLA going to Clemson, and et cetera. Um, we kind of hit on this, but I think this puts the horse before the cart um, because narratives usually emerge from the the type of consistent decisions or problems or, or issues that staffs or, or teams have. So. Um, to answer your question, never. Teams and coaches don't buy into their own narratives. In fact, teams and coaches hate narrative, um, unless it's absolutely 100% positive, which is like 1% of most narratives in college football. Right. So they um, they create narratives. They try and live those down. Um, I don't think that you ever have a, a sort of a – for Tennessee, for example, right now, like I, in no way, shape, or form do I think, you know, in the fourth quarter of Saturday night's game, did Butch just say, oh, well, this is what we do. We're about to go do it. Oh, well. <laughs> no, there's that – when you're dealing with 18- to 22-year-olds, um, whether it's, you know, media narratives or just within the team, oh, crap, we're here again. What are we going to do to get out of it this time? There's absolutely that. And, um, you know, that, you know, I used Mark Richter as the example. Part of the reason I used Mark Richter as the example earlier is the whole so-and-so can't win the big game thing drives me crazy because I've heard it from Missouri fans about Gary Pinkle for years. Basically you win until you lose. And that loss was the big game. Um, simply because when you're good, any loss is a bad loss or a big loss. And therefore you can always redefine it. But no, in general, I think that narratives, uh, either internal or external, absolutely seep into the room. All right, two more. Um, our buddy uh, that we work with, who's our uh, our recruiting guru, um, Bud Elliott at SB, SBN Recruiting, uh, which non-super recruiter has the best title shot? Baylor, TCU, uh, MSU, Clemson, Stanford, Utah, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Florida. Um, right off the top, what, I would say the best title shot would be either Oklahoma, Baylor, or TCU because of the past. Right. And, oh, I mean, I guess Oklahoma's not a super recruiter. They're top 15, though. Um, I think, I mean, I thought, that could I mean, be, hasn't like, wait, super recruit. We'll have to get, we'll have to get Bud to expand on this because you know, I've, I've told him for two weeks, we've we had top 15 classes in the last three years. Right. I, I think we'll, we'll need to get Bud on here at some point of other things because for two weeks now I've told him we're going to, but I haven't yet taken the time to figure out how to dial let's in just, another let's person. Just keep telling him he's going to be on the show. And see That's right. He's our, uh, what is it? Matt Damon to Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah. Sorry, Bud. Next time. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, what's the one I like the most to finish with? Um, okay, how about this one? Uh, Esteban Francisco, and I think uh, at Inventor of the Wheel, 
Okay, I think he's asked a question on here before. Has anyone had a more debilitating loss thus far than Boise? If they beat BYU, would they be in the playoff discussion? Uh, it's funny you ask, the Esteban, never going Bill, to and I, Bill and I were tag-teaming a story together. Um, had they beaten BYU, I was actually going to go to Charlottesville, spend some time the night before the game with the coaches, and talk um, specifically sort of about their plan because – Boise did not have a great schedule, even if they uh, they didn't have a great schedule set up to go undefeated and even get in the playoff conversation this year. They drew the short end of the stick on cross division in the Mountain West. So I would say it's not as debilitating as you might think because I don't know if an undefeated Boise would have made it. No, I don't. I guarantee they wouldn't have. I, I mean, I'm very. I compliment the committee about certain things, like, for instance, not starting the rankings till midway through the season and then, you know, being willing to pick a Mississippi State over a Florida State. But they are, I mean, their treatment of Marshall last year proved. Like, if they wouldn't even put Marshall in the top 25, even though they were playing at a top 25 level against a bad schedule, they're never going to put Boise State in the top four, ever, I don't think. But they're really? definitely not going to I don't do know it. about ever. I mean, I mean it would have to be some situation where there are a ton of two-loss teams right? and only a couple ones. Right. I mean, you, so I shouldn't say never, ever. There, there are scenarios on the table. Uh, but I would give the, like, I just look back to, like, um, they're really, really good teams from the end of the last decade. Uh, I maybe one of them had a chance to get into the playoff. Um, that's why I think Boise doesn't get enough mention in um in whatever that you know whatever the next round of realignment looks like whenever it happens because they are very aggressive in terms of facilities and things they've done their stadium etc. But they you know Brian Harson told me in the spring and he was very he was very open about it. He said, look, I think if we go undefeated, we should be in the conversation. But I think that's about as reasonable as we can – or uh, that's the reasonable expectation. I'm paraphrasing. But he basically it, it sort of admits what you just said uh, object- objectively, which is that, hey, we know our limitations in terms of the talent that we play. Not that the talent they bring in. They actually, they fielded really good teams that I think can compete with anybody in certain yeah. years. But, um, no, I don't think they – they know. Look, they know who they're saddled with. And I don't, I mean, if they could snap their fingers tomorrow and go to the Big 12, they would, but I, I, I don't know if that's going to happen. And that's, I mean, that really, that's one of the things that endlessly frustrates me because that, those, uh, what, really 08 to 11, but especially I think um, the 2010 and 11 teams were phenomenal. Um, and, you know, in the end, part of this is due to the, you know, they, they screwed themselves by like losing to Nevada and San Diego State those years too. I, I don't want to, you know, ignore that. It is a reasonable expectation that a mid-major, a team in a mid-major conference would need to go undefeated. Um, so I, I don't want to go overboard in saying Boise State would have absolutely been screwed. They kind of screwed themselves. But I mean, that twenty, that two, that oh nine team that went fourteen and zero would not have sniffed the the playoff, and um, and that frustrates me. I, I want basically. You know, even if it's a tough path, I want to know that there's a path for any team in FBS to succeed, to to reach the playoff if certain things go their way. Um, and that, that's we're not even we're miles from that. Toledo could finish 12 and 0 this year with wins over Arkansas and uh, somebody else with, that is sort of uh, God. Who's the other team they beat recently? Toledo. Yeah, pulling it up, pulling it up. Um, uh, while you do that, I'll say this: uh, future non-conference schedules. Right. Iowa State. Uh, future non-conference schedules not incredibly friendly for a great resume build for Boise. Twenty sixteen, it's ULL, Washington State, Oregon State, BYU. Twenty seventeen, Troy, uh, Washington State, Virginia at BYU, and then eighteen, Troy, UConn, Oklahoma State, BYU. 
they don't really have a power coming in that they could possibly upset until 19 when they go to Florida State. And they need those games. Yeah. That's how it works for Boise. You need to go play Virginia Tech at Redskins Stadium. You need to go play uh, Georgia and Ole Miss in the in the Chick-fil-A game. You, you have to have those games and then win them and then run through your crap schedule to stay in the conversation. Washington was not going to be the caliber team they thought when they when they built that series. Um, I, real, remembering, just, just, you know, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, remembering what they did in 2011 where they pantsed Georgia and then they beat a good Toledo team on the road by like 25 yeah. points. Watching the conversation that year told me everything I needed to know. They lost to TCU. That, it wasn't San Diego State. It was TCU that year uh, now that I pulled it up. But they had already – they were fourth when they beat Georgia – uh, they pasted everybody. They were not touched even slightly. They were beating everybody by 50 except for uh, Air Force. And when they, they were fourth when they beat Georgia. When they played TCU in, in mid-November, they were fifth. Um, because just the, by act of playing those teams, they, they were left out of the conversation uh, and ignored, and other teams were allowed to pass them. And um, because of the way we look at resumes and everything else, I, I, I think that's almost – Unless they're thirteen and zero and everybody else is ten and two, I don't see them getting in. Uh, uh, let, let's end with a stupid idea uh, because that's what I do, and that's the kind of uh, cachet and expertise I provide on this program and really at SB Nation overall. BYU. I wrote a story with Matt Brown um, where we tried to kind of drill in and figure out what the psychology was. They didn't really want to talk to us, so we did the best we could. Um, they were struggling to live and survive as an independent. They have, I know through multiple sources, have thrown themselves at the feet of the Big 12 on multiple occasions. However, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, and that's that they have built really good schedules moving forward. So really, really good schedules that, as an independent, yep. are, to me, as strong as uh, Notre Dame. And certain, you know, maybe maybe not quite there, but pretty damn close. And if they were to run the table against these schedules, I'll rattle uh, a couple of them off real quick before I get to my stupid idea, which I think you know where I'm going. That BYU could definitely be a playoff team. So next year, uh, completely independent BYU, uh, a neutral site game in Glendale, sort of against Arizona at Utah, home against UCLA. They play West Virginia at uh, FedEx Field in Landover, Toledo at Michigan State, Mississippi State at Boise. Excuse me, at Cincinnati, UMass at home, Utah State. That is a Power 5 schedule. That is better than a lot of Power 5 schedules. Right, and that's, okay. what, six or seven Power Conference opponents plus then four of the most consistently strong big, uh, mid-majors. That's how you build a schedule. 2017, LSU and Houston, neutral site game. Utah at home. Wisconsin at home. At Utah State. Boise at home, at Mississippi State, at East Carolina, San Jose, San Jose at home, at Fresno, at UNLV, UMass at Hawaii. A little thinner there on the back end, but they had to build in some guaranteed games against Mountain West uh, teams just so, just so they could ensure they would field enough opponents. Even in 2017, you're going to beat LSU, Wisconsin, Utah, Mississippi State, Boise, and ECU. You're in the conversation. They've done their work. So you know where I'm going with this, Bill. Boise State, you just say screw it, go independent. Um, well, I mean, part of part of that would require. I mean, if they can arrange for their other sports to not get totally screwed by that, uh, BYU was able to. I don't know. Um, you know, that's that's the okay, logistic but answer. But the if, Big West in other sports, I, possibly, I, yeah. Boise possibly. State doesn't care. <laughs> that's true. Next no. year, Boise State at Louisiana at at ULL. 
Wazoo, Oregon State, BYU, and then the, the Mountain West schedule. So you got to play. So that's home games against Colorado State, San Jose, UNLV, Utah State. They're on the road at Air Force, Hawaii, New Mexico, Wyoming. I ain't going to cut it. I will say, the, the, I mean, if we're looking at just football, uh, not caring about the other sports, you know, like Boise State, um, I, the one thing I would, I, I, if, if I were to take that route, I would need to know that I would be able to schedule home and homes with teams. That's one thing that BYU has been able to do. And, and we've heard for years that nobody wants to go to Boise State. And maybe that's an exaggeration, but if you could pull it off to where you can get four or five, you know, major teams on the schedule, yeah, you're not going to do worse in terms of scheduling um, than than you are currently. But I, I mean, if boys, if it's really a struggle to get teams to the blue field, then maybe maybe going independent wouldn't help them in the same way as BYU. BYU has also sacrificed that home and home logic in a certain in certain instances to to bolster their their schedule. So, so they're still getting a lot of teams to home. Yeah, and really, I will say too, one of the things they're doing that Boise State could also do is to fill in the home schedules when they have to take on balance. They're getting good mid majors. They're getting East Carolina and Cincinnati, and UConn might have been decent when they scheduled that game. And right, but um, they have but they have twelve opportunities, not four. Right. So, yeah, I mean, if you can do that, that's the smartest thing BYU's done is supplement. So you're not playing too many New Mexico states. Um, but, I mean. Also, I'll throw this in here, too, in terms of non-numbers-based reasoning. BYU can afford financially and sort of, like, in terms of fans to say, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just do the one-off game in Houston against LSU. Yeah, we'll do the one-off game against Missouri uh, in St. Was that St. Louis. Yeah. Will do those games because they have a national fan base. Boise State travels right. extremely well for for what they are and who they are and how young they are, but I, I don't know if they could live like that. Yeah, it's in Can- the BYU Missouri is in Kansas City because that you know which that's- is which is fun because that's kind of the uh, the Central Time Zone's uh, Mormon capital um, with the the big weird looking shrine that it's it's both amazing and kind of scary in in uh, Independence, <laughs> but. Um, no, that, that's a that's a valid thing too. They have a national fan base to whatever degree, not to Notre Dame's degree, but but to some degree, and and far more than Boise State does. I'm gonna call Harson today and pitch him this. Okay, sounds good. I'll see what he says. Let's see what he says. Um, all right. Anything else before we uh, we sign off for the week? I'd say that's good. You know, we had a, a, a two-item uh, agenda, and we still filled over an hour. I, I have no doubt that we will never ever have any problem with that. No, not at all. All right, uh, we're done for this week. Uh, as always, you know, tweet us your questions. Um, that's un- that's Uncle Luke on the phone, isn't it? Uh, someone like that. I'll, I'll put it that way. <laughs> all right, guys, we'll see you next week. Yep.